This week's episode is brought to you by Carl. Let's have a little faith in the dude, eh? Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! Wow! Good afternoon or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for October 9th, 2017. Coming up on the show, the Avs start trip one and one, the same of the year already. Checking out the new guys, hey, and a peek ahead at the Avs home opener. But before we the whoosh, let's hit up our disembodied voices for the week. Coming up at us from, I guess the storm's gone. I had written from inside some kind of storm, but I think it's gone now. Is Earl? What's up, Earl? How's it going? Yeah, hurricane's gone. And also returning to the show is the current record holder for most AKAs, Tiger Vixen, Queen JK. What's going on, Jackie? Hello. I'm coming to you from before the storm. The Avalanche opened the season this week on Thursday with a 4-2 win over the New York Rangers, who might be bad, by the way. Uh, Matt Duchesne hilariously opened the scoring. And Rico Rantanen also got on board, as did Tyson Berry and Gabe Landeskog into an open net. From so far downtown, he was back in uptown. Big question mark, Simeon Varlamov was good in this one, with the only two goals against coming on penalty kills, and Zadorov was a scratch, which I'm sure we'll get to. Making their NHL debut were Andre Mironov and Alexander Kerfoot, plus Avalanche debuts for Colin Wilson, Patrick Nemeth, 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 Patrick, and Nail Yakupov. Then, on Saturday afternoon, the Avs traveled to New Jersey and lost a hair-pullingly frustrating game 4-1 to the Devils. Carl Soderberg, your lone scorer for the good guys, as New Jersey scored three times on the power play and once shorthanded. And Jonathan Bernier got the start, and he was electric. Is that what you guys were expecting from John Bernier? I, I was probably hoping for that, but um, I, I, I wasn't really expecting it, but it was really good to see. I mean, if that's your backup... Um, Good things could be ahead for this team. I'd say about the same. That that would, probably would have been my cautious optimism. I I knew he was a good goalie and he's capable of that. So we'll we'll see if he can keep it going. Yeah, I was having a lot of flashbacks during that game to watching Leafs games when they were on their playoff run in the shortened season. But to watching both him and Reimer have night after night just like that and. I, I kind of wondered if he was having some some flashbacks himself because of the quality of the chances he was facing. Good God! <laughs> yeah, um, you know, made me kind of miss having a good backup goalie. As sad as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I I can see that with the Leafs just because I, that was very similar to that Leafs team seeing thirty nine shots. Yeah. So. Um, Two very different games, both in result, both and and in you know just the style and pace of play. Um, what are we, what are our takeaways this weekend? Who are who are like who are we happy with? Who are we not happy with? Let's go straight into the into our stars and scratches. Let's go our three stars first. It's tough finding someone who is really good in both games. Um, I, I'd say first star would have to be the goalies as a set, just because they basically won both games or kept us in both games. Um, you know, it, <clears throat> I, I think we're going to see a lot of games like the Jersey game, just because it's a new team. It's, it's a very young team. You've got a new offensive coach and new players. Um, but it's good that they have a, a goalie tandem that they can count on when things don't go so nice. 
Okay. I will say Matt Duchesne. He was good in both games. He scored in the first game. And uh, his line was probably the best over the two games. I can get down with that, yeah. Um, it's It was nice to see him sort of be engaged the whole time. And he's obviously put all the issues that Mike Chambers keeps bringing up behind him. I think you mean he who must not be named. <laughs> and so the first one that I was going to toss mine to was the William Jennings star, which Earl stole. And so my backup was Matt Duchesne. <laughs> um, well, I would, I would throw out Soderberg for stepping in after being scratched, playing pretty decent and scoring, but... Yeah, if you're looking for not a bad shout. Um, I'm I'm kind of just kind of based on like my own expectations versus results. I want to look at Patrick Nemeth. Um, yeah, just because that, that he's was... been really solid. His, his his pairing with Tyson Berry has been honestly one of the Avs' you know best spots this weekend. Yeah, yeah I haven't I... seen <clears throat> I haven't seen combined shot metrics, but I would guess that he's if not top of the team real close yeah he was he, he's he was their number one penalty killer um on saturday both in terms of time spent doing it and success um yeah. and then he's also like that that pair with with barry has been at even strength has been just locking it down and sending the puck in the right direction so um i was waving my hand pretty dismissively at that claim and I'm pretty happy to be wrong about it if if this is who Patrick Nemeth is going to be. Of course, he's got 80 games to to not continue that, but it's a good start. Yeah, yeah. at least we, we know he can be this guy. Um, he probably won't be every night, but hopefully he doesn't have to be. But But at least he, you know, at least we see this is, you know, if this is his ceiling, that's still not bad. If he can be better than this, that's fantastic. Because there were a lot of voices out there going, oh, the Avalanche could have claimed Martin Morenson if they hadn't already claimed Patrick Nemeth. And I was like, yeah, they probably would have if they didn't already have this guy. So that that's a pretty well... Like, if you're choosing between those two, based on what we've seen so far, you're choosing Nemeth. Yeah. Um. So on the scratch side, who are we a little bit more pissed off with right now? Not pissed off, but I was disappointed in Marinov the first game and he obviously sat in the second game. Um, he just, he, he doesn't look ready to play in the NHL to me. I mean, I know he's, he's probably a little bit nervous at first. His first period and second period were God awful. He, he looked a little bit better in, in the third, but um, you know, it just, it looked like that was an experiment that was failing right as right in front of your eyes. We We sat there and watched him make such strange decisions. Like, there's what what grabbed my eye, and it's it's never good if a guy like Miranoff grabs your eye, but that happened. Um, five minutes to play, Avalanche lead three to two, and they bring the puck into the zone, and for some reason Miro pinches all the way into the corner. Yeah. And leaves right, <laughs> and then covering his point, like wait a minute, you're you don't want to sit on a lead ever, obviously, but there's five minutes left, and you're yeah. leaving Miko Rantanen as your one of your guys back. 
Yeah. Yeah, with him, you just got to wonder where the line is where maybe they have to make a decision where either he's he's going to have to be off the team one way or the other, or now that they have eight defensemen, it's not a big deal, and he could hang around for practice. I just, I don't have a problem what they're doing now, but I just wonder, is there a point when they're going to need that roster spot or something where it kind of comes to a head and they have to decide, is he good enough to keep in the NHL? Or are they going to have to talk about what to do with him? Cause it just seems very obvious. He's kind of the outlier and all kind of the earn your ice and all this and that, that everyone else kind of fallen under. And then he's just Miranov, and you start him in the first game. And we knew he wasn't ready before he started. We really hadn't seen a whole lot in preseason, even back to rookie camp. But here they're playing him instead of Zadorov. And, and obviously that, that switched in the second game. But you just wonder, where is this going to go? And yeah, then I mean, the, uh, the Lindholm call-up on top of that, too. It's like, now, you, now you've got Miranov and... Um, Barbario both out like that was interesting decision making yeah um I I don't know what I, I think they're what they're hoping is that you know by osmosis that Miro is going to a learn English and b get better and I hope they're a little more proactive than that but um you know that they're, they're going to need him at some point. Like pretend, pretend Barbario has an has sort of a day to day thing right now, and he couldn't play in the Devils game, and that's why he was out. You know, then you're still looking at Miro as as the guy who's coming in next if someone gets injured, and you know, do you really want that? Is it you know really tying up your roster? Um, or you need to bring in another forward. Yeah, and you know, Carl kind of solved that problem because I was thinking like. You know, Carl's not even a sub because he was going to be terrible. But all right, so whoever scratched can actually play. We we think now, as long as Nieto comes back in and doesn't take three penalties. Yeah, there's there's the next scratch on the list. That you, <laughs> you just can't do that. Can't do that. Nope. <laughs> Nieto's game on Thursday was atrocious. Yeah, I mean the the elbowing penalty was. I mean that was just that was bad luck as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it was. It's it, you know it was one of those things that glanced off the dude's shoulder, but the two stick penalties were just heinous, just lazy. And and neither of them would have been penalties this time last year, but you knew. Yeah. Yeah. He'd taken a lot of. This. He had taken a lot of penalties in preseason too. Yeah. I I don't have the exact figures, but he's he must have been one of the top two preseason penalty minutes. Yeah, he and Como were taking planet penalties left. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Was disappointing just because he actually did I, last preseason game he played in Vegas. He actually looked really good, so I was kind of hopeful that he could come in, have some chemistry with Tyson Jost, and you know maybe make the the fourth line a little more than just grinders. Um, you know, and and maybe. He, you know, maybe he starts getting it and stops using his stick instead of his skates. And that can happen. That would be very helpful if he could skate instead of trying to drag because obvious reasons. Um, and, and you can, you can debate this call or that call. And my, we probably aren't going to get into that on this show, but 
kill <laughs> a penalty, and maybe Matt Nieto gets a little bit more overlooked. But you got to quit this. This this can't continue. Well, it's also his, his primary purpose in being the, in the lineup. You know, maybe not his primary, but one of the primary purposes of him being in the lineup is kill penalties. And he was not able to kill half the penalties in that game because he was in the box. Exactly. So who do we have for a third scratch of the weekend? Maybe a little bit of a hot take, but I'm going to nominate JT Comfer. I don't really want to throw any of the young guys under the bus because they're all kind of in the same boat of it's not all going to be fantastic, but you know, given the line that he was on with Landis Cog being kind of the defensive shutdown, and they did not do that yesterday. And I'm just hope. I also hope to see a little bit more offensively from him. I think he had a really good period against New York. It might have been the second one, but you know, you you kind of hope to see a little bit more offensive flashes from him. He's really good when he gets those power moves going, but I think he's a his inconsistency has flown a little under the radar. Yeah, I mean, he. I, I think he and Landy both had great games on Thursday, but yesterday was really bad. Um, and I still, I'm, I'm not quite sure why that happened. Because, I mean, how do you go from the only two forwards being at 50% Corsi 4 to just right bottom of the barrel? Um and I looked, it wasn't even against the Hall line. It was against Hisher. Yeah, he, yeah, line. exactly. He, they were matched up against sort of their third. So I, I'm, I'm kind of at a, at a loss to explain what happened there. Yeah, and I hate giving a scratch out for a game, but I do think in general, I feel like he, he's been a little bit more inconsistent. Not, not that Jost and Kerfoot haven't been, but I think their flashes... Just has been pretty bad, so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he's he been all He could be a bad. stealth scratch in here. His, his penalty. Well, that could be was, your hot take. <laughs> yeah, my, my hot take was um, I, I wanted to put Wilson just because he got demoted, and I, you know, it was a good told you so for me, but. Um, I think he just works better on that fourth line. I don't, I don't yeah. necessarily think he got demoted. I just think they want to give Jost a better line. And that was kind of a good reason. And then Wilson played on that line and Como um, dished out the big hit and they got the penalty called. And yeah, I just hope that they think, hey, that works. Not necessarily like Wilson belongs on the fourth line, but, you know, maybe it just all makes a little bit more sense if we do it that way. I'm with you on this one. I don't feel like that was a demotion at all. I think that was more about Tyson Jost than it was about Colin Wilson. Yeah. Um, cause as much as I hate Wilson, he actually played really sort of he's for definitely... what he was doing. I mean, he's still, he's not really contributing in any kind of, you know, You've when you trade for his mic thing. Am I, am I, am I bad Mike you're, right you're, now? You're in and out again. Yeah. Uh, it happens a lot when I'm talking about Colin Wilson. <laughs> it's almost like the ghosts want to silence you. <laughs> The ghost is related to him. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't feel like Colin Wilson was that bad either. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you all are right that something was wrong with the Landy Comfer Wilson line. It just, it, it might have been too much of one kind of thing. 
think putting that's exactly Jost up there, yeah, putting Jost there uh, got him a little bit, sort of a, a change up on one wing that, that kind of helped them move around a little because they could not get out of the zone on Saturday. And and Jost and Comfer both had much better numbers together than they did separate, so. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, Comfer does really well with someone he has chemistry with, like Greer or Jost, I think. I think that'll kind of, you know, pep him up a little bit. Yeah. And they were practiced. That that line with Jost was practiced today. So that's something we should see tomorrow morning. So, God, morning. Yeah. So uh, before we dive too much into the details here, I'm, I'm going to soapbox very briefly. Um, you, you'll see some, some comments here and there about the Avalanche not really being in sync um, compared to other teams around the league. And I don't know about y'all, but I expected that for sure coming in because of how much turnover the rosters had versus last season. You got a, a bunch of players who have, excuse me, who have either not been combined in this, the way they are now or who have not played together before. Like uh, Duchesne is playing with two completely new faces. Um, you know, Tyson Jost has how much NHL experience? I mean, not much. JT Comfer <laughs> has how much NHL experience? You're looking at a bunch of guys that are still learning how to play together. And these moments where they make passes to empty ice or skate into each other because they've both turned the same direction, like that's those little things are going to continue to happen. And they should smooth themselves out as they learn each other's habits. Chemistry yeah, isn't just this natural thing most of the time. You generally have to learn how to play together. But yeah, to... I'll take that a bit further and say the coaching staff still has no idea what these guys are going to do. It's sort of excoriating them for, oh, you know, making bad lineup decisions or whatever. You know, they they, they can't have any idea how the Kerfoot, Duchesne, Yakupov line is, is going to handle, you know, most situations at this point. So the staff have to learn what these guys can do together and can't do together. So that's going to happen a lot probably from now until Thanksgiving, too. And it's not really a new thing this year. I know a lot's been made of, I think, 12 new players or something, but they had eight new players last year that hadn't been on the opening night roster the previous year. So this is kind of like something they keep doing is 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 turning over a third to half of their team every year, and you wonder why these things happen. So, yeah, of course it's going to take time, and... I think people were hoping for like immediate progression to see to see these things and it's going to take months. It's going to hopefully the the roster stays the same and the young guys will grow and we'll see their games get better with experience and then we'll see the chemistry come together. So I think some people are getting a little freaked out like it kind of looks like last year nobody after can, two games. Yeah, nobody <laughs> can break the puck out, you know, this or that, but I think right now, at least for me, I, I see the effort there and the the hunger, I guess you could say. And, and of course, why wouldn't they be? It's a new season. Like, who isn't going to be? But we've got the youthful energy, too. And and for me, I, that, that stuff's evident because even as frustrating as last night was or yesterday, um, it, it was still there. The energy, the effort, the, the desire was still there. 
they've just got to figure out how to channel that into playing the system and and those 50-50 battles Bedner talks about and things like that. Yeah, I, I think the, the newness and the lack of developed cohesion was really obvious yesterday because the Devils, how long have they been that fast, by the way? Because <laughs> they, they, they came at you hard and heavy right out of the gate and did not stop skating until the game was over. And it, it took the Avalanche all game to figure out how to deal with that. You saw a lot of panic moments where they're just like, I, this is a lot in a hurry. And that that is something else that's going to have to come with time. With guys getting more used yeah. to each other, with guys getting used to NHL pace and, uh, and blah, yeah, and blah, was, and so forth. That and was I think it's kind of... Game, so they hadn't been scouted yet, and the Avs had played, you know... 20 miles away right. so they they had a they have probably had a better idea of what the abs did and even though the younger faster thing we've heard all summer is maybe it's a little bit of a lesson that it's not just going to be all fast it the abs don't work well at that pace that the devils were trying to go with they've got they looked better when they slowed the game down yeah. And it could control it better. And I think the Avs can't play go, 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 go. That's they, they have more speed and this and that, but they're still not built that way. No, their, their speed is built to come in bursts. It's built to counterattack hard. It, it's not built to have a track meet, which is what we saw yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the threat of speed is more effective than being speedy all the time. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of teams New Jersey can't do what they did yesterday against. Yeah. Like teams with, you know, strong, competent defensive units. Yeah, I mean, they try that against Washington. They're going to get killed 6 nothing. Yeah. And, and I don't mean the blue line. I mean the team defense. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to touch that before we jump into some individuals. Um, who do you want to talk about first? Amongst like the new, either new avalanche or new like rookies. Um, I've I've got a good Yakupov narrative. Um, what do you guys think? It, is he getting enough time for sort of what he's shown on the ice and sort of the the numbers that he's put up? Because he's probably one of the most effective forwards over the two games as far as. Uh, shot metrics go, but he's you know he and Kerfoot are probably they they might be seventh eighth in in time on ice. Hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see that line played a little bit more. But you look. I'm not on, even saying just that line. I'm saying him on the power um, play. Definitely, I um, think yes. They, I think, even though it's early and and they want these units to work together, I'm not quite sure they've got they've got the right units because when you have power play three basically come out at the end with Jost and Soderberg and get a goal and you've seen kind of a little bit too much of the dicking around that the the guys from last year were doing in the power plays this year I think I think it's still a little bit stale and and they need to get Yakupov on the power play to use that shot at the very least yeah um I, I think he definitely needs some more power play time. I'd like to see him take sort of extra shifts with other lines as well. Like, I, you know, I, I like the idea of Jost with Landy and, and Comfer, but maybe putting Yakupov out there once in a while 
be good too. I, I think it'd be interesting to see how he fits in with those guys because they, they seem to be lacking a little bit of an offensive punch. And, you know, he might, he might be perfect on that wing once in a while. Yeah, he's nothing but offensive punch. Yeah. He's, he's not been bad in the defensive zone. Um, I, I, mean, I would he, be interested. You to don't want him killing like, penalties or anything. No. Seemed like a total. <laughs> Fix your mic. Um, we, we need to, to see more of nail for sure though. I, especially on the power play. But I mean, I wouldn't even mind seeing that line get a little bit more time together with what five V five time the NHL deems we're allowed to have. Um, because <laughs> I, I, the, the McKinnon line is getting a bunch of time, and we all obviously know why, but there's they're just kind of not 100% clicking when the other team is able to keep up with their speed. Yeah. So, maybe it's something a little different. And they, we've had two road games, so obviously the matchups aren't going to go our way. But right. um, I, I think they are playing a little too much. I think Landy and Comfer are playing a little too much, and I think Dutch's line needs to play a little bit more. I mean, you know, and I know that's hard to regulate in game for a coach, but um, yeah, I, it's just something I'd like to see. And we'll yeah, see I'd like... how long Sven stays on that line with with Mac and Miko. Okay, so what does everyone hate about Sven? I I I I don't see him being that terrible. What what do you guys see that that he's really dragging those guys? I mean, honestly, it's nothing different from what like the other two on that line are doing like just fumbling the finish. Like he'll have a pretty clear cut shot at the net and just kind of either fan on it or, or heal it or pass it or, you know, it's, it's nothing that the other guys aren't. Also I guess doing. you just, you just wonder if, if the ultimate skill level's high enough, like, you know, when he's, when he's at his kind of apex, it's, it's good, but kind of more equilibrium. I, as far as what in in particular, Sven's done. Just yeah, maybe maybe kind of killing the play a little bit. I I don't know if he's made as many plays to the other two than they've made to him. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't really break the lines up. I I would kind of go more with the ride the hot hand. Like instead of trading everyone around, kind of see which lines going better of the three and kind of roll with that as your top line. Yeah. Well, we just know that the, uh, the team are trying to do this kind of forward pairing sort of idea where they aren't necessarily looking at a line of three to keep together. They're looking at, at, you know, Mac and Miko or, um, you know, Landis Gog and Comfer, like those are, and, and then you, you plug in whichever third person is playing a way that benefits them that night. Um, it's a, which is a, an interesting idea, especially with a team that has no real like cohesion or identity yet. Like it, it's it's interesting to to look at it that way and see who might plug in with these two on at any given moment. And I'm just I'm I'm not necessarily saying take Sven off the top line. I'm more like, will the coaching staff make that change? I'm interested. One thing I'm noticing is that he is the guy that is the responsible guy staying back like he's pretty much the f3 i mean mac is mac does that most of the time but a lot of the time seeing uh sven being the guy cover for defensemen that pinch in and we saw in the preseason him having to defend several odd man rushes so 
Um, I just I, I wonder about that. If he's being told to cover for the other guys, or maybe he feels he has to just because they're, you know, they're they're the ones caught low a lot, or or what what's going on there. But maybe that's affecting his play offensively a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, if we can get Miko to take a shot, then maybe maybe no one's talking about that. He did take one shot. Yeah, about half the team needs to, even though they had 40 shots yesterday, about half the team needs to shoot more. Yeah, the, as, as we, we watch the best players and watch Colorado do well when they are their best players and watch them get beat by three goals when they aren't their best players, like we see when things are going well, they're, you know, the, 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 the Globetrotters come out, there's some nice little passing plays across here and there and you beat guys and score a flashy goal and it's beautiful. And then when it's not going well, they're still trying to be cute. And yeah. that, that's my biggest issue with the top players on the avalanche right now is when things aren't going well, you need to simplify and, you know, try to just quit trying to, to dance around people that you're not dancing around tonight. And that's especially tough when it works the night before yeah (laughs) yeah to simplify a little bit when it's not working and that would help tremendously hope that door didn't get picked up um so let's talk about some others um first on my list maybe nail was first on your list first on my list was chris bigra who has definitely belonged out there Yeah, he's been great, especially um, kind of af- as he's progressed through the preseason and and that you still saw that in the first two games. It's really nice to see, especially when kind of coming into preseason in camp, it was a little kind of, is he going to make it? What's going to happen with Bigra? And And he's kind of taken it and run with it. Yeah, I I've liked the way he plays. Um, he's still kind of not not real good in the the shot metric department. And it, it definitely kind of disagrees with the eye test. Um, you know, especially in the first game, you know, he was on ice for two shots uh, shot attempts against per minute, and it's just I you know I I wasn't seeing that, but it's sort of a continuation of what he looked like back when he was up with the Abs a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, I, I hope the good things he's doing on the ice sort of overshadow that and he can kind of even out his, his shot metrics to the point where he's kind of an even guy. And, you know, I, I think he has, he has a, a lot more upside than we've seen so far. And that, that's kind of a nice way to look at it. And it'll be nice if they could start getting him at kind of more power play time or, he might be out there a little bit at the end of power plays, but like kind of more in a main unit and and give a more consistent partner too. I think that'll help as well. It's kind of been EJ and Barry and just everybody playing with everybody. I I, I mean, I have a feeling that's going to continue just because I, I think they like the thought of EJ and Barry playing uh, at least at this point. Um, you know, so it's it. I mean, I, I I just I don't see them cutting back on EJ and Barry's minutes. 
this point. And, you know, maybe maybe that makes it a little bit more difficult for Bigrod to a lesser extent, Big Z, um, to really increase their minutes. But, you know, I, I think over the course of a season, that's going to end up evening out a lot more. Hope so. Speaking of Big Z. Um, Big Z. Yeah, that's that's a player on the list. <laughs> Mr. Message Receiver. Right. Whether, I mean, there there was some chatter about whether his scratch on Thursday was a mutual decision or not, where maybe he didn't feel like his legs are quite under yet. I really hope that's not true, because in 2017, you don't get in NHL shape at camp. You just don't. Or, or within, like, 32 hours between one game and the next. <laughs> right. And then, you, and then you play 19 minutes, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really buy that. And I, I don't see a player saying, you know, I just, I'm not really up for it. I, to me, I just, <laughs> even if it was part of a discussion of like, how do you feel? I just, I can't even imagine a player would say, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I, I could take opening night off. Yeah. Um, I, don't I hate that. Madison Square Garden. I really don't want to play. <laughs> like twice twice this weekend might be enough you know <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's hard to say i i definitely think there was a message being sent there just it's the next game um it also um i don't know how much this played into it but um someone had to sit for miro and maybe that was a taking one with the team maybe discussion i don't know um but, they never said shape, though. Bedner never yeah. said it. Z wasn't offering it. Is it possible it was something else? I think. I mean, I think if anything, it's attitude. I mean, I hate to sort of prolong the narrative, but you know, the narrative is is that he's he's a bit willful. Um, you know, and I think maybe Carl was too, and and I think. You know, maybe both of them being scratched the first game was was JB saying to them, "Look, you know, we we need you guys, but we don't need you bad enough that we're going to put you in the lineup. Just be sort of the thing to do." Yeah, just because. And you know, I'm I'm even okay with that as as much as it was kind of maybe horrifying that that Z wasn't playing the first night, and and it's kind of like, what are they doing? I don't mind the accountability. It's just. Are they are they gonna keep it going? That's kind of the question. Yeah, and and then Zadorov responded by being, you know, with his pairing with EJ on Saturday, getting pretty well filled in at even strength. So, oops. <laughs> I mean, do I you think it was Z or do you think it was EJ having? A I don't. I didn't notice them at all during the game. I don't really know. I'm I'm asking from a position of total ignorance. Yeah, I mean, I, other than EJ's bad any... hit, I, I don't, I didn't notice anything. Yeah, bad hit, quote unquote. Yeah, <laughs> it's bad if you're Kyle Palmieri. <laughs> I don't think any of the defense was noticeable in a bad way yesterday, which is kind of, I don't know, good or bad, I guess. Yeah, all I the guess good are definitely up front. Yeah. I guess good it wasn't the Boschman-style blunders where you could, 
list out the own goals and things like that. Yeah. It's more team defense problem. Yeah, Tyson Berry failed to, to lock up a stick on the penalty kill. That was pretty much it. Yeah, that's about the only one that you could point to because they haven't given up that many even strength goals. They've given None. up exactly zero, actually. <laughs> and they didn't give up many in the preseason either. So, so maybe in some way the patchwork defense is working. I mean, if the, I mean the team, if the team goes from even strength dumpster fire to completely capable at even strength but struggling on special teams, that's a step in the right direction. Definitely, because the PK doing bad, which maybe we'll get into a little bit more is also part of being in the box all the time. That doesn't help either. And they yeah. did poorly against the Rangers by giving up those two goals, but then after that, they killed all the other penalties. Well, they've actually had more power plays than penalty kills. Yep. And they are 1 for 11 on the power play. And Yeah, that's that's... That's definitely not good enough. There's. It was a nice one. Well, Carl's goal was a second after, so in real life, that is a power play goal in my mind, but it obviously doesn't count. Yeah, it's technically not 2 for 11, but that's still pretty bad. Well, 2 for 11 is 18%. That's kind of... That's, that's where you'd think they'd be. On a team with Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ranton, and Matt Duchesne, nail like this team should be scoring on the power play and i i'm sure the question that everyone listening is going to want to know is it the system is it ray bennett is it the setup what if they can't keep scoring on it what is it well i think do you see the system better is there anything you see better in the system I, i think earl had a good comment about this in the game day threads um, or maybe it was on Twitter or something, but I remember you having a g- good comment about this. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, the one goal that they did score was two Royal Road passes in a row, and Miko was wide open with an open net. So if that's what Ray Bennett's trying to get them to do, that's absolutely what they should be doing. And as far as yesterday goes, they were 0 for 6, and aside from Carl's almost goal, uh, they were very soft and back on the perimeter like last year. I mean, it, it really did look like last year, and I, I don't think that's what Bennett's teaching them. So then maybe gets back to what I said earlier. I just think it's too many of the same players together that contributed to the awfulness last year. And I understand you're going to want those guys on the on the power play, but – Maybe it would serve it better to totally mix it up. Maybe get Bigra in there, Yakupov, and just give the units a totally new feel. And then maybe they won't fall back into those old habits. Because I, I just, I don't know how anybody watches film can have Barry stand at the blue line and shoot from there. That's baffled <laughs> me for years. I don't know how anybody who's had 20 years experience in the NHL. Not that I know any better, but there has to be a better idea than that. Yeah. And, and honestly, the avalanche has just struggled to even get set up on, on Saturday. They could not enter the zone cleanly. They couldn't even exit their own zone. It was alarming. 
They give up that, a that, shorthander late in a double minor. Like, are you serious? Yeah, the first half of that double minor, they couldn't even get out of their zone. It was that was just tragic. So or maybe maybe put Barry somewhere down in the zone so that put him on the wall just so he's not shooting for back there. Put Yakupov on the blue line. Just make it feel different, and then maybe they'll you know follow directions as you could say better. Well, if if Barry's shooting from the absolute middle top of the slot by the blue line, he absolutely shouldn't be because you never score from there. You 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 need a pass from let's say Mac on the left half wall to Barry at the right point, and then he can shoot and get it through, and then you know it'll either go in or someone can get a rebound. But if he's shooting from the top of the key there, that just never works. And he doesn't have the shot for it. That's the other thing. I mean, no one shot. does. Like, no one's going that, to – that's where everybody is. You can't make it through 10 people through the goal. I mean, you, you like to shoot through, like, two or three people, but not everybody. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And he doesn't, he doesn't have a cannon, though. I mean, when you have someone back there that has a super hard shot, then, then you're going to get those kind of rebounds. But, yeah, he just shoots them into people and nothing happens. So the power play needs some work. And it's it's just funny. I just think it's funny how um, that when they very clearly and obviously did things a little bit differently, it worked immediately. And the old perimeter passing is just ends up back in the neutral zone and not able to get back into the zone with it. Um... It's going to take some time to get rid of the. It's going to take some time to get rid of the bad habits. It is. Or just try an all kid unit. Make that the second unit. Put them all together. Yeah, you can't have bad habits if your if your line is Jost and Comfer and Kerfoot and Lindholm and Beegrah. Yeah. Yeah, try something like that. Just freshen it up because kind of. It, <clears throat> I think that is the problem. They just fall into fall into their habits, fall into kind of what they're used to doing. Let me amend what I said. You can easily have bad habits, but you can't have old habits. You can very easily have bad habits. Um, but the penalty kill has killed five of ten penalties. Not good enough. Not good. It's, uh, I'm, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that's not very good. <laughs> Last season, I, um, we spent a lot of time kind of forgiving the penalty kill because a lot of the goals going in should really have not gone in. Um, that's not what we've been seeing so far this weekend. No, I mean I'm seeing a lot of the I'm seeing a lot of passes right across the middle, which again is the Royal Road, and and it's just you know you, you gotta you, you gotta totally block that off and you know I, I love Tyson Jost but he's been out there for a couple of those and then you have Mac with his muffins and you know it's just there, there's a lot <laughs> going wrong there McKinnon isn't spending very much time killing penalties but uh, he, God, didn't, he didn't like yesterday he but <laughs> he had a couple muffins yeah. in the first game you feel every second that McKinnon kills penalties because he spends every one of those seconds with Attempted to clear, but not out. Yeah. I would say uh, 
my two maybe observations on the penalty kill is one, I think what they used nine different forwards yesterday, something like that. And it, that just doesn't seem like the right path to having a good penalty kill is just basically throwing half the roster out there. And then, yeah, poor Jost. It's, they're trying to give him minutes, but making him the top penalty kill forward maybe isn't the best idea. I like that he's on it, but he doesn't need three minutes a game on the penalty kill. Like, keep him on that line with Landis Cog and Comfer and then ease his penalty kill minutes back might be a better way to go. Yeah, the Avalanche have a problem. Um, I was definitely yelling just as loudly as anyone else last night, well, yesterday, to goddamn it, fix the penalty kill. But the Avalanche have a problem, and that's that who do they have to kill penalties? Um, Rufus Leakey asked in our in our thread today, um, in, in the game day thread yesterday, you asked if it was personnel or coaching. I'd love to hear you guys expand on that. Is it personnel, coaching, ex- execution, and or other that explains the Avs' mistakes. And that's not exactly a penalty kill question, but I'm using it as one. Um, and I'm not asking it just to Earl. I'm asking it to all of us. Um, because I think a, the, a big problem right now is, I mean, your your best players are not good penalty killers, and your, your next tier of players are not very experienced players. Well, all right, let's look at the first night. Nieto, who is one of the top PK guys on the team, takes three penalties. So that's three penalties they have to kill without him. And you're seeing, like, Andrew Ghetto out there for some reason, and you're seeing Tyson Jost gets get three minutes. And that's probably not the way they drew it up. So that's part of it. So that, that, that they were forced into. But still, having uh, – I think it was nine guys the first night, eight guys yesterday PK'd. And I think they didn't use Como that much because his ice time no. is very low. Yeah. And, and they didn't use him very much on the penalty kill. No, they didn't. That's because Como's an extraordinarily passive penalty killer. He's just not good at it. Well, then he should probably take a seat. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a feeling the, the lineup change that they're sort of mulling over right now is putting Nieto back in and taking Como out. Yeah, I mean, if, if, as you look at all the different reasons that you could say the Avalanche lost, um, Como is, like, near the bottom of the list, but I'm not sure what his role on the team is if he can't kill penalties, and I don't think he can kill penalties. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'd like for him to kill penalties. Maybe he's just, you know, he had a bad night or two, but... I mean, if they're not going to give him time, then he shouldn't be in the lineup. And I don't think Soderbergh's a bad penalty killer. No, he was one of the best. On, yeah, he was on, a he was a Saturday. rock yesterday. Yeah, one of I the best. Him does, and yeah, and I think Soderbergh does better when he has a role. I think that helps him engage. And I know this gets back to kind of our philosophical do you cater to Soderbergh to get anything out of him kind of question. But I think if you give him something to do, he does it, and it helps the team. <laughs> so, <laughs> to yeah, me, I, I've always felt like just use him, even if you hate doing it. But I know then there'll be that one game where that'll get him to sit for a while, and and then that all goes out the window. But 
I think I think playing him and putting him as one of the main penalty killers is one of the better options they have. Because I agree, they don't have any real obvious penalty killers except for maybe Landeskog. Yeah, the thing is, is the the first year Carl was with the Avalanche, he played two minutes a night on the PK, and then last year it was like a minute 20. So, you know, he seemed to be a lot more effective that first year, so maybe playing him a lot on the PK is a lot better for him. If he does it a lot, he's better at it. Yeah, he also had trash line mates last year, so that was another another factor. But I do agree that when he has a, a clear objective to go meet, that he's much more capable of doing so. Um, and he definitely has been one of the team's better penalty killers. I like Comfer. I like Comfer on the penalty kill, too. I didn't like him yesterday, but in general I do, yeah. I want to like him on the penalty kill, so even if it hurts, let's let's let him learn. Yeah. I mean, he I, he wasn't doing anything yesterday that everybody else wasn't. He was, you know, he was that muffin or soft clear on the boards that made it two feet away from the blue line but didn't get out. So, you know... I, I don't think he did anything poorly that everyone else wasn't doing at the same time. Yeah. So that that soft clear is obviously a big systemic issue right now. What other systemic issues in the penalty kill have you noticed? Because I have noticed that the whole team will chase the puck into the corner. Yeah. It's it's getting out of position. Um, you know, like I was saying, like you have to cut off the middle when there's guys on the half boards trying to pass it back and forth like that, and that's something that they've been kind of struggling with. So that's something it, that vi- video can really help with. And it seems they all kind of are collapsing. Like the longer it goes on, they all do kind of like collapse back into the net. And I think most of the goals they've given up, they, it's not like it came quickly off of the setup. It was kind of off of the breakdown. And yeah. everyone running around, or everyone kind of getting sucked back into the net. Well, that one where Varley was lying down, I mean, there was, you know, it wasn't just him lying down. There was three other Avalanche players in front of him. There was one guy on skates left to defend. <laughs> and he was on the side, the opposite side of where the puck ended up. So, you know, I mean, I, I realize sort of the urgency when you see a, a cluster happening right on top of Varley like that to get in there and help. But... You know, if he doesn't puck, you're you're gonna give a goal anyway. It's just it's a little bit tough right now. There's a lot of different things to address, and I just hope they pick one. Yeah, because if you're trying to do all of it, then the whole unit's gonna break down, and it's already rough. Yeah, I mean, you know, five for ten is awful. I mean, they they basically have to kill the next twelve or thirteen penalties just to get to like average. Yeah, so let's let's go ahead and answer Sarah Quill's question before we move on from here, which is uh, with with the current roster, who would you put on the PK and how would you set them up? We've already mentioned Soderberg. We've already mentioned Comper, Landeskog, and Landeskog. I don't think there's a defenseman other than Barry that I wouldn't roll out there. They had barbs out there a bunch the first game, and that was not good. And I think that's why Lindholm was called up and came in for him, honestly. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think... finally executed the the Joe, Mission Joe, but we'll get into that. Um, yeah, I you know, I think for forwards, I'd like to see Carl and Nieto on sort of your primary unit. And then after that, let's say Como's not in the, the lineup and we don't want to use him anyway. 
Then you do something sort of quick like Comfer and Jost, maybe Comfer and Mac, Comfer Landy. Um, I'm down for you know, Comfer Landy. Mac. You know, some some combination of those those guys because those those guys seem to be the ones that you could put in there and you know not not feel terrible about. And I I don't think McKinnon on it is a bad idea. Just limit him more. Yeah, I think it's a great change up, but it's just not something you want to see a lot or more than like two a game. I'm way more down on that idea than y'all are. I don't want to see McKinnon killing a penalty unless there's like 15 seconds left in it. That's it. He his time is much better served doing other things. I, I we need him fresh, not you know skating around blocking shots, trying to scramble from the point to the corner to the point to the corner, and then lobbing the puck softly up the high slot. Like, I mean, what if he's asking to be on it though? I mean, you know, he's he oh, wants well. to be a leader on the team, and he wants to you know be able to be thought of as responsible in all situations. And maybe it's important for him to play a shift or two on the PK every. Yeah, I mean if. If he's good enough defensively to be a number one center, then he's good enough defensively to be on the penalty kill. Once in a while. So if if he's if it's because he's not good enough defensively, then then that's its own problem. But yeah, he's your top player. He has to be good enough to be that number one center. And you at the end of the day, I think Role players are good, but you do still want to use your best players as much as you can. I just think it's about resource management. I don't think he's so good on the penalty kill that it's worth using his ice time on that and when you, you could be keeping him fresh for other things. I don't think he's Jonathan Taves. Okay. There's logic there. Um. So you mentioned uh, Mission Joe. Let's Let's answer... This question says the Avalanche don't seem to want to. <laughs> um, hi. Um, I am Internet Random, and I've noticed that Joel Coborn is gone. Where did he go? Joe Coborn is in San Antonio. <laughs> Joe Coborn played last night in San Antonio for Rampage. Um. He actually didn't. He didn't look that bad. They obviously, um, you know, he he obviously got down there a little late, so he didn't have any practice. So he, they they put him on a line with another guy that didn't have any practice, and <laughs> you know that that went okay actually. Um, you know, he he fit he fit in down there. I can say that. <laughs> played a lot. Yeah, except for at the end when they were trying to turtle. Yeah. It's just, it's very bizarre how they announced him on the opening night roster, and then by <laughs> opening night, the, then uh, the, the roster sheet comes out, and he's not on it. And suddenly they're not making cute little internet videos about him. Right. <laughs> or even announcing a transaction. Yeah. No. We, we didn't just... get a reassignment announcement like we got with Siemens and Wars of Sky. No, they just quietly shipped him down there yeah. and presumably there to stay. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a weird situation. Um, you know, it's too early to say what his effect on the rampage is. I can tell you the first direct effect is basically that, that J.C. Baudin did not play last night 
because he was in the lineup, which I don't like at all. But, um, you know, you'll have that. And Colburn played center, and Bodan was the center that sat out. So it's it's not just kind of like trying to patch these things together. It's a pretty direct result of, of having him down there. I mean, he, where does he fit in the organization right now? As far as like a year-long role? Yeah. Um, it's tough to say. Like, I mean, what is the end game here? Sticking him down there to I, play I, out his contract? or I think so, because that's what they've done with all the others that that were NHL players and then were not. It's it's possible he, he you know, he could play well, he could get called up, he could play well, he could get traded. I mean, this is what people would argue that other organizations do. And the Avalanche bury guys in the AHL. I mean, I, I would say since he's cleared waivers, he might be attractive to another club as sort of, you know, sort of the same thing he's doing for the Avalanche now, but maybe with a club that, that might need him at the NHL level a little bit more. Um, I, I would say definitely that sort of, it's sort of in, in Sackick's thinking that he would try to do right by a player like this. If they can't use him, they'd try to put him somewhere where he could be useful. So, right. you know, if someone asks, I, I don't think they'd ask basically anything in return. They just want to get him someplace where he can play. Um, That's what I've wanted all summer, though. I, it was clear he doesn't fit on the roster anymore. He doesn't. Well, not, fit. now that he's cleared waivers, that uh, that that has a lot of value. So, but um, the salary, though, if if he was coming in at around a million, you could see that. But the salary, the two point five million, I think that's way above kind of the. Well, we could use an AHL body. We could use depth. Or we could make a swap where we get rid of somebody that a contract we don't want hanging around. I think this yeah. is definitely a straight up Barry is the problem. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I don't think it's likely that that someone's interested in that. Maybe they are, but you know, the the, con- the money is prohibitive at this point. But you know, we'll see. Because again, I I just <clears throat> I know they do this a lot, but they haven't done this like right in the beginning of the year. Except for like you know, Cleish and Bordy, and I, that's sort of a different animal. Yeah, those aren't really berries. Those are guys who shouldn't have been in the NHL in the first place. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. The time, the timing is interesting. I mean, they could have even sent him on a conditioning stint if they wanted to. If it was about you know, get him away, figure things out, they could have said because he missed all of camp and everything, and needs to play, make it a conditioning stint, and they didn't. And also the whole pretending he just doesn't exist. To me, that indicates they, they're just pretending the problem doesn't exist. Well, it's right? just in the, Mir- the Miro situation here kind of plays into it, I think. Because, I, you know, I, I think that they, they, they probably want to have 14 forwards and 7D, but they can't right now. And they probably wanted Lindholm all the time, but he didn't play very well in preseason and he's not – looking great right now, but they, they want him eventually, you know, to be playing regularly. So, I guess the question would be, who do you, do we think their preferred 14th forward is? Cause I don't think it's Colborn. No. <laughs> so if, if they do get an injury or they 
figure out the Murano situation, who's that that next forward going to be? Uh, I mean, it's a tough call because Greer's injured and he hasn't played yet. I'd say, like, right this minute, it's probably Gabriel Bork. I agree. I just hope that Greer is. I'm of the opinion Greer needs to play on the team sooner than later. And I understand at this point the time he's missed, he's going to need to go down and play some. Yeah. Hope, you know, hopefully he's in the lineup that this is not a guarantee anymore. <laughs> and, um, but, but, yeah, at this point, I think he needs to go down. He hasn't played. He could use a little bit more time. But I really, really strongly feel like he needs to be in, in the plans to come back up soon mm-hmm. and to play. And, and if he goes back and forth, like maybe if someone notifies Billington that guys can go back and forth during a year, <laughs> then he could do that because I think he's a guy that could – Especially benefit. younger players who do not <laughs> require waivers. Right. Like, you could call him up for a road trip and then send him back. Call him up for a game. Hey. Or when the Rampage have a week off and the Avs play, that might be a nice time to get him some NHL games. Yeah. When, when Crazy how to, those things work. We get to the heart of the spring when Colorado play every other day for two months. Yeah. Might be nice. Yeah, my- might be nice to have, you know, a little energy in the lineup. So, so I, I want to see a 50-50 split. If they can't figure out how to get him 40 games, I think, I think that's a huge mistake. Yeah, I, I agree that Greer definitely probably is their 14th guy that have in mind his injury. Obviously, throws a wrench in it. Um, I, Gabriel Bork is pretty much their default 8th or 14th forward at this point. I think he's pretty much kind of the guy that is who he is and – him being up to sit isn't that big of a deal, but there's just not room right now. Yeah, I mean, I and think I if someone th- asked, if someone asked to, you know, if the Avs were interested in trading Blake Como right now and and they got rid of him, that you know, Bork would be a great, you know, he, he would be a great guy to have instead of Como. As far as you know, he can come up in PK. He's never going to score, but you know, it is what it is. But if you're actually trying to replace someone that that sort of fills a, a a larger role in the team that, you know, sort of Greer is where it's at. And, you know, they need to get him ready to do that after he gets over his concussion quickly. Well, hopefully it's quickly. I feel like later. Yeah, he's been, he's been no contact, but in practice. So I really hope when they get back to town on to practice on Tuesday, that, that we'll get some sort of update. That, that he could practice or something like that. But going back to they might call, I, I think they're going to give Tony Otto a chance at some point. But yeah. it's it's probably not going to be until 2018. It's probably not going to be this calendar year. But I, I think that was part of getting him signed is they're going to give him a look at some point. So I wouldn't discount that. Yeah, and Tomato looked great last night. I mean, he, he was everything we thought he was in the preseason. He was very solid defensively. I thought he looked fantastic in the neutral zone. Um, he had some wide-open chances that he missed totally. I mean, it was everything <laughs> that we saw in the preseason. Yeah, let's go ahead and then dive straight to that. The Rampage opened their season on Saturday night. Um, you know, it, it was great. They hadn't won on opening night at the AT&T Center in San Antonio since, I think, 2014. So, well, since uh, they were the Panthers. 
Yep. Um, so they they came out and they just wrecked Ontario in the first period. They outshot them twelve to four. Um, they they only ended up being up one nothing. But uh, I, I mean, <clears throat> Spencer Martin was just like standing there with his elbows up on the goal, the the crossbar the whole time. I mean, just the puck was nowhere near him. Um, but it was you know it was nice to see that because Ontario is generally a, a heavy possession team and very big and and it just you know it, it was good to see the rampage having success against a team like that um they it's traded just... goal they, they traded goals in the second and then sat on the lead in the third and that was all she wrote the the two goals were scored by blues prospects which we we don't really need to talk about but they're they're great guys i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> and martin looked good he did give up kind of an lol goal but yeah, he passed it right to a guy from behind the net who put it directly into the open net. <laughs> oh, those are the funniest goals. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but that was the only one he gave up, so he had a yeah. solid start. It's, it's so just... hard for me to get mad about those goals because I'm too, too busy laughing at them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, Marty's, you know, his puck handling is sort of, you know, it's it's pretty laughable sometimes, but, Barley you know... No, it's, no it's not I, I think the ability's there. I just yeah. think that maybe the decision making. I think yeah. when he's playing well, he can move it pretty well. But this wasn't like, you know, off the top of the glove and into the net or any stuff. I mean, he he was on it as far as playing goalie. That's good to know. Yeah. First time he's and, done that in a while. Yeah. And as far as like it's good they won. They need to get off to a better start. We've talked a lot about how having a successful AHL team helps development and, and things like that. And they, they they had a poor start last year, and, you know, maybe, maybe they're really focusing on that. But I thought it was an interesting stat that Dan Weiss gave out was that the team – and I think – I don't know, maybe he thought this was a good stat. I was a little <laughs> confused why he tweeted it. But there were of the opening night roster, there were six Avalanche draft picks on it, and I'm thinking that's that's not what you want with your development organization is to have six draft picks on it. Of those six, two did not dress. That's Bowden and Antel. So you had four Avalanche draft picks dressing in the game. Now you had five Blues draft picks dressing in the game. One was the backup goalie, so. You can decide if that's dress or not. But basically, there was an even amount of developmental prospects from the Blues and the Avs in this game, and the rest were, you know, veterans, guys that the Avs have traded for, et cetera, et cetera. You know, guys like Tony Nato, who is a real prospect. I guess Rocco, if you want to call him a prospect, I do not. But... Okay, you but know, you all sorry. You have Agazino and, yeah, Agazino's but he basically turned pro with the Avalanche organization, and he's been in it for all but one year of his career. And but he's not. Like but he's not like a prospect, though. He's an H. He's there as an AHL vet at this point. He's the yeah. Vander Gulick. Yeah, he basically is. And then you have like Reed Petrick, who you know it's basically the previous administration. But he, yeah, you know, he, he's on an ELC, and and maybe maybe they're still looking at him for for depth, but. I guess my point is, is that the actual yeah. drafted guys were 
they like the, the point of development, the point of why you have your AHL team, I think was, was lost last night. And it's one game. There's, I think, 75 left. There's going to be a lot of different guys that play in it. I realize that. But I think it was just kind of telling to me anyway that there were just as many Blues prospects playing as Avalanche prospects. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, again, I'm not trying to shoot you down here, but like if Greer and Boykov were healthy, you know. Well, we don't know if they would have played. I mean. I'm pretty sure Greer would have, and Boykov was probably maybe. Boykov instead of Geertsen. <laughs> so Geertsen wouldn't have played. Yeah. You know. So. Um, you Mason actually, better. Mason played well for, you know. I thought he played well. He Except had, he, for tr- trying to get into a fight like he does every. I swear, every single game he's played in rookie camp, in preseason, now in in the age. He picked the wrong guy too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he had any idea who that guy was. Maybe he knew he was a rookie, but no. (laughs) It's just you know, I don't even mind fighting. Really, it's just when you can see the thought process that. I have to fight this game is not a good place to start from. Well, especially after breaking his, his wrist last year and missing half the season, you know, I mean, he just, you know, I mean, Duncan got over that. He can do it too. So, um, rampage win and the other players helped a little bit. They're over 500 for the first time since February of 2016. Well, but the, there was also some uh, amateur prospects that were in action this weekend, including uh, the top pick for Colorado this season, Cal McCarr. So tell us a little bit about uh, what else went on this weekend around the U.S. of A. Um, we got our first look at real regular season action for Kale McCarr, our fourth pick in the draft last summer. Um, he and, and UMass went to go see Arizona State University, another hockey powerhouse. And, you know, it was fun to watch. It, you know, it, 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 I, I don't want to sound like I'm bagging on these guys, but, you know, both teams were awful. I mean... I'm not sure if like the top junior clubs in the CHL could beat them, but they they probably could. Um, <clears throat> so it's oh it's yeah, going, with the puck skill. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how uh, playing with a team sort of at this level is going to deal with BU and all that. But regardless, it, it was just good to see Kale McCarr on the ice and, and doing his thing. Um, He's really fun to watch. He's electric. Um, he's not bad at defense at all. He's not, you know, Tyson Berry as a rookie or anything like that. He can play full 200-foot game. Didn't look small against these guys at least. Um, you know, I, I think for me it's a good benchmark when I go back and look maybe, you know, the next time I get to see a game in a month or two, you know, I'll be able to see sort of where he's heading. Okay. Yeah, for, for me, it was interesting to see the team around him, and, and we know it'll get better, but it's just, you know, you kind of wonder if points are going to be hard to come by because... Oh, they will. And I, 
and I have seen maybe a little bit out there already that, okay, if he's playing, because the opponent wasn't that great either, and down the line when they're playing BU and others, it's that's going to be quite different. But they weren't playing a good team. So there's the thought out there that, well, if Makar is so awesome and talented, why couldn't he just run through these guys? Why didn't he have three goals? Why did, why did he only have one assist over the two games? And my answer would be he never had the puck. Nobody passed it to him. The team never had it. It was almost like, you know, midget hockey where they chased the puck. It was just like yeah, nobody I mean, thought to pass it back to him when they were in the offensive zone. It was all forward. If a forward had it, he was going to the net. It didn't matter <laughs> if he lost it or not. And then it would go back the other way. Yeah. No, serious. It was just total, like, you know, tunnel vision hockey. Pure shitty, eh? <laughs> I mean, it was striking when you, you know, when you think that these are division you're just like, whoa, you know, so this is what the other end of the league looks like, you know? Um, and, and so I, I worry about people that are like, okay, well, where's the points? Like, if he's so good, what, why is he not scoring? Yeah, I mean, it, it, unless he skates it up through the entire nine-man body of the rest of the players on the ice and, and shoots it past the goalie, it's going to be tough for him to get into scoring situations. And and he looked good on the power play, but when they used him, yeah, they <laughs> they weren't used, they weren't playing him thirty minutes either, which is kind of odd. But then they played him a lot in defensive situations. They played him a lot on the penalty kill, on the five on three. Yeah. So that was good. It seems like they're definitely focusing on developing his defensive skill set. But as far as offense, I, I, I really don't understand what they're trying to do with him offensively. I, I mean, I, I think he's, he's basically a true number one. He is their best defensive defenseman, as silly as that might sound to people who know his reputation from the draft and before. Um, but that might be a good thing. I mean, maybe, you know, a year of basically playing, you know, PK and, and getting power play time when you can, uh, that, that will get his defensive play sharp enough that, that he can come up and just, you know, def- offense will be easy. Wasn't just Makar in action, though. Who else did we have? Um, Dennis Smirnoff, our sixth-round pick. Um, he played against Clarkson, and I, I forget who he played last night. Um, but the game, the game against Clarkson was available to view on the internet, and uh, he's he's a ton of fun to watch. Um, he's definitely small. He's not Rocco small, but he's close. Um, but he's got a really good shot, and, and he's got phenomenal vision. Um, he makes some fantastic passes, and you know he's 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 someone I'd like to see turn pro at the end of the year because I, I I think he can really benefit from playing in the AHL next year. Yeah, I think he's he's ready to from yeah. with the year he had last year, and it seems like he just picked picked up right where he left off last year. But I is he good enough defensively, or does that not concern you because he he has his role and he does it? I, I mean, he's you know he's not great battling on the boards or anything like that. But from what I saw in the defensive zone, if he gets the puck, he's able to make great clearing passes and he knows where everyone else on the ice is when he gets the puck in the defensive zone. So um, 
I, I think I, I think he could be useful. Um, you know, whether that's going to work against NHL pros, it's anyone's guess. But uh, you know, I, I think it'd be worth a shot because the guy's just got skill all over the place. And he ended up with a goal and two assists last night against somebody. I'm not sure. Rudo's got a, a streamable of the goal. But he's going to score a lot this year. Here's open. Yeah. And I agree. They'll pro- they might look at signing him after this year because if he has any interest in leaving school, um, he'll, he'll probably do about what he, he can in school this year and, and be ready for pro at least. Yeah. And talk about Ty Lewis, our, our newest signee for the Avalanche. Yeah. Yes. Someone else that the Avalanche doesn't want people to know that they've <laughs> made a transaction with. Super um, double secret. Constant so, back. yeah, if, if, if you were not aware, the Avs signed a new prospect. And we only know and, this because we put in a FOIA request. And, That's a news uh, joke. <laughs> and he was one of the training camp invitees. He was at development camp and and had a really good rookie camp and even got in a preseason game, which is is quite something for uh, a non-drafted prospect because not even all the drafted prospects get in a preseason game. So they sent him back. He wasn't signed, and we thought they missed out on an opportunity when – he went back to his club team in Brandon in the WHL and started lighting it up. So he had five points in the first game and he scored in every single game that he's played. I think he's the last I looked was up to 17 points in seven games, (laughs) which the game was still ongoing. So he could have added more. I don't know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's nice that they they saw someone and and decided to bring him in. And he's someone they need. He's uh, an offensive winger, so that's that's kind of something they're lacking in the system is wingers still. Yeah, I'm always interested in how guys like that fly so far into the radar they don't even get drafted. Well, I mean, he was projected as about a fifth round pick this this draft and this was his second draft um it's yeah his his draft year he didn't he had like 20 some points just wasn't enough and and then this last year he had i think 30 goals and 30 something assists so that was enough to get him on the radar and like you said he was he was on some of the central scouting list but there's just a lot of second year eligibles that are out there and i think that's why they he was on the list and they, they brought him into development camp because they jump on these guys that probably should have been drafted, but weren't. Um, and I think he's also been a little bit of a late bloomer. I think he was and he's gotten bigger. Um, I think he's close to six foot now. And, and so he's someone that his games progressed and I watched his last two games, part of the one today He's a fun player to watch. He's he's skilled. He's really good with the puck, and and he's got a little bit of. I wouldn't quite call him a power forward, but he's got that kind of inclination, um, which is really interesting to me to see. Because my first 
viewing of him is against all the other prospects and then the NHL guys, and then to go back and see him in his junior environment to see, you know, kind of all of what his game is, has been interesting. So he's yeah. been a ton of fun to watch. I've, I've been wondering sort of what the difference between his game is down there as opposed to what he looked like in camp. I, he, he definitely flashed skill in camp. I remember one day when he sniped Bernier and, and everyone was just like, oh, that was something. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he was a little over his head in the preseason game, which, you know, that's that just says he's not NHL or even – I mean, even the first-year pros didn't look great in that game. So, I mean, that that's pretty high bar. But um, to definitely see his skill with the puck and to see the power in his game, I think it's been a surprise for me. So, so we'll be we'll be watching him and talking about him plenty. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's good to see the Avs finally sort of sealed the deal on one of these guys that that's worth it. Um, so it's you know let let's call it. It sort of makes up for trading Eric Jelena. Trading a third for Eric Jelena, which turned into nothing. Yeah, I mean, with a third, maybe you'd hope for maybe more up, get a prospect that's a little more upside than uh, someone who's already 19. But, but yeah, yeah he, you do things like this, you backfill what you've lost. Yeah, he's a guy, he, f- he fills out that draft class. He might not be a third round pick, but. We basically traded down from third round to fifth, maybe or sixth, and instead of just giving it away. Yeah, and then something, and then he should be able to play in the <laughs> AHL next year. So, so that helps too. That helps because they'll be able to have Timmins and some a lot of these Smirnov and Lewis and bring these guys, bring these guys in next year. So that helps too. Yeah, because they'll have a whole team to fill out next year instead of just two thirds of one, or a third. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and look ahead to next week. As uh, we're starting to kind of stretch a little bit here, um, on Monday afternoon the Avs are in action early. It's an eleven o'clock Mountain start against the Boston Bruins. The usual matinee for the holiday. Then on Wednesday, Boston returned the favor, which is a seven thirty Mountain start. It's the home opener. Uh, we don't know if that time takes home opener ceremonies into account, but they usually don't, so it might be a bit later to start than 7.30 even. On Friday, the stupid Anaheim Ducks make their own trip to Denver at the 7 o'clock mountain start, and finally on Saturday, the Avs travel to Dallas for a 6 o'clock mountain start against the stupid Stars. All games this week <laughs> are on local broadcasts. I was a little surprised looking at the schedule. They already had a back-to-back, which... I guess shouldn't, because I know some teams even started with a back-to-back, like Pittsburgh did. Or, But it's just, yeah, the schedule this year is going to be weird. It's always weird, but it seems like this year is going to be a little bit extra weird. So they're going to have some days off, and then they play that back-to-back, which they should be ready for. They have plenty of extras at this point. Yeah, it's because it's of the, the trip <laughs> to Sweden. The whole, the whole schedule is a little condensed for both Colorado and Ottawa. Because they have a week off before those two games, and then they have a week off again. Huh. So, um, let's look at this week. How uh, how many points do we want to predict? Four games. Two of them are against Boston. One Anaheim, one Dallas. Two home, two road. I guess a split. I'll say points. 
Yeah, I mean, I four points just it, it might be a little optimistic. I'm not going to say two though, because I, I I don't I, I think they'll get <clears throat> I, I think they have a better shot than winning just one out of four. So yeah, four points. I think playing Boston back to back helps because playing teams soon after you just played them tends to go towards a split. So yeah. it, it's it's usually tough for a team to win both of those. So I think they'll win one of them, and then. The back-to-back, they usually split a back-to-back, so I think... And they usually win the game they should lose. Yeah. (laughs) Which, at this point, I guess you'd say Anaheim's going to be the tougher game. But I think Dallas is the one with the travel, right? So that one, with how Dallas has looked early on, that's going to maybe be one that people think we should look good in. And maybe we won't. I kind of felt that way against New Jersey. I felt all week that they were going to look bad against New Jersey. So yeah, I called that last week. I, I said they'd beat the Rangers and lose to Jersey. And, yeah. Um, and me and Vlad called you a fool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I, I think the Dallas game could be a slaughter for us. Um, if let 10 in plays, um, you know, they, they, they've not looked good so far. So it, it, if... You know, we we could be hitting them right at the right time. There, Anaheim, I don't have much don't have much hope for. Let's say, but I think they'll split with Boston. I guess if we heard anything on Bishop, I haven't looked. I know he was knocked out of that game. He's usually hurt, so he probably won't play. <laughs> well, then if they're if they're playing let let ten in, then then that changes it definitely. Yeah, that's. I, they, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Six nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they had his number in preseason too. Yeah. So. But I'm, I'm gonna still, I'm call, sticking with four. I'm gonna call five. Oh boy. Yeah, they're gonna win in Boston because they always win on Indigenous Peoples Day. They're gonna win against Dallas because Dallas is bad, and they're gonna lose in the shootout in to, in the home opener against Boston because that's the latest game of the week. And C six is doing the <laughs> recap. And I'm going to be there. I'm so going to be there at the home opener. So it will go as late as possible and end the worst way possible. <laughs> Five points. <laughs> I can uh, see. I can see that that happening. Non-point related question here. Do you think that um, the staff keep alternating uh, Varley and Bernie? I'll say no because... I, th- I think they're going to start Varley in the home opener. I mean, I'm going to assume Varley starts tomorrow. We don't know yet, correct? Yeah, that's right. I, I was thinking maybe they, they go Bernie for this game. I guess that's possible because I, th- yeah. I think they really want to start Varley in the home opener. And then, <laughs> then they're going to have to split in the back-to-back. So I could, that's why and, I could see it go Varley, Varley, Bernie, then Varley. Well, all right. Look at look at it this way. Like they want Varley Wednesday for sure. Uh, Bernier played for Anaheim last year, so that might be a really good game for him. And Varley, um, Varley beat Dallas already, so and they they both did. But you know, he beat so them I, better, I'm sure. So I guess the biggest better. question is tomorrow. Then they they can yeah. either either way tomorrow. Yeah, I I think we see Varlamov three games this week. 
because if we see Bernier twice, then something has gone wrong. That's that's kind of the way that I expect it to go. Because they 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 don't. I don't think they want a platoon. I think they want Varlamov to be their number one guy. Well, but, I mean, they they've talked about alternating them early in this season just to keep them fresh, and we're saying basically keeping Varley fresh for later in the year. Yeah, Bender said, I think it was on his weekly show that, um, on the radio, that they're going to alternate more now, and then they're going to want to settle more on at number one later. Hmm, maybe. Well, that's it makes a lot of sense, because, I mean, it just, you know, playing Varley, you know, like Schneider-like, like nine out of ten is right. Doesn't make any sense. But I... I guess I agree in the beginning here, though, it would be kind of weird to then go back to Bernier. I mean, they didn't win. Obviously, he was great in it. It wasn't his fault they didn't win. But Farley won, Bernier didn't, you know, it's just, it would be a little bit eyebrow-raising, I think, if, if it was like, hey, Bernier's starting again. But then again, when have the ads cared what people think? <laughs> well, no, not to like fans and, and such, but you know, more to Barley, I guess. Well, I mean, you think the players, you know, if they say like, "All right, you know, try again," uh, the players know what's up. Sorry, the hurricane started yeah. here again. Uh oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they they know that Barley's. They've they've got to definitely be careful with him, but I I think as much as they've said they want to alternate, that's. They know Varley's their guy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. They, this Varley is the guy, and they want him to be the guy. So, um, whether it's four points, five points, eight points, book it. You know, you can find out here. That would be something. That would be something. Keep, we'll be keeping our ear to the ground to uh, hopefully get the, the quickest news on who is in net on Monday. Not that you care about that because you're probably not listening to the show before that game. It's a 11 mountain game. Let's be real here. Um, but thanks for tuning in. <laughs> thanks to uh, both of my extra voices today for giving me part of their su- Sunday evening. Um, you can always get the latest abs, news, and updates on burgundy-rainbow.com. You can follow the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. You can subscribe in iTunes. You can rate and review and you can yell at me on Twitter at burgundyradio or at stuffhouse11 if you don't mind non-sports content. Um, In the meantime, we will count on being back same time as usual next week. The schedule looks like it's set up to allow it. We'll have four games to run down instead of two and uh, hopefully... Lots and lots of good things to talk about and minimal, minimal bad things and minimal ridiculousness. Like, like, like guys getting penalized because someone else jumped out of the way. <laughs> so, keep your head up. Dirty areas. See you next week. It is Joe!